Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Who remembers the name of our sermon series we started last week? It's okay, it's an open note test. Uh, Faith renovation, yes. Uh, I really enjoyed studying and bringing that message to you last week. Based on watching you in the room, it really meant something to a lot of you. So I'm excited to continue it today, and actually with Kirsten and Jillian unavailable, unavailable for next weekend, we're going to do this one more week next week too. So you bought two, you get one free. Uh, that's, not a, is that, that's not a BOGO, that's a BDGO. By two, BTGO. Uh, anyways, there's an extra one. There's an extra one coming. <laughs> I was in a clown suit yesterday, guys. I mean, come on. There's a little spillover into Sunday morning. My nose, if you get close enough and look, my nose is still just a little bit red from Aaliyah painting a clown nose on me. I took off the costume and we're cleaning up and I'm talking to people yesterday afterwards and I totally forgot I had a red nose. And after a while, they kind of are chuckling as they're talking to me and they're like, you know, you still have red on your nose. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. Anyways, let's get to it. <clears throat> let's get to it. So, um, you know, we talked last week about how we all run into renovation moments in our lives. Sometimes there's significant renovations that happen with our sense of the Christian faith. Um, <clears throat> and we talked about how it's like a home renovation project and how we might need to patch theological holes in our understanding. You know, we might have to repair leaky faucets that drip with doubt or disbelief. Or maybe we need to clean up our perception of God's character because it's been soiled by misconceptions or people who have misrepresented him to us. Um, and that's so important to do. So the series is geared toward those of you who may be undergoing a major faith renovation right now. You have questions about the Christian faith, or maybe you're questioning it altogether. This series is for you. We also said every Christian needs ongoing renovation, right? You grow you mature. It's just called discipleship or spiritual formation. You know, you have a certain understanding of who God is, how he operates in the world, who you are, and then you find out something else, new revelation from his word or from being in his community, and you go, oh, that's not quite what I thought it was, and you do a little renovation, and you keep on going. So we're all working at it. And then we serve as renovation guides to one another, right? Sometimes you need a little help along the way. It's, it's an interesting journey. It's maybe a winding path with hills and valleys on this journey of life. And so sometimes it's nice when someone comes along you on the trail, comes along beside you on the trail and says, hey, I've got a tip for this section of trail coming up. Or if you've ever done any serious hiking and gotten lost and you run into somebody who knows where to go, you are so thankful. <laughs> Hypothetically, I might have run into that situation before. Um, and then if you're just considering Christianity, maybe you're not a Jesus follower yet, you know, the things you're going to hear in this series are good because we're talking about how Jesus has compassion for those in doubt, in disbelief, who are feeling disillusioned, how he extends a nail-scarred hand to you. He wants to take you by the hand and build faith in you. And if you'll let him do that, if you'll join him, he'll meet you right where you're at and build something amazing in your life. So, Last week, we talked about the first house Marilee and I bought. And so this week, I found pictures of our second house. Turns out we didn't learn our lesson after doing a major home renovation. 
we bought another fixer-upper. Here's a picture of the kitchen. This was our second house. This is maybe around the year, like uh, New Year 2009. Um, yeah, the wallpaper was beautiful. That was a big selling point. That old stove. We're like, we got to have this kitchen. <laughs> no, that wasn't the case. In fact, we changed it quite significantly. Ooh. Ah. Bill, can you come fix my kitchen? No, I can't. <laughs> I barely got that one to where it was at. With a little professional help <laughs> along the way. I did do a lot of it. But um, I also had some help in the family. That's Micah. Shown with permission. <laughs> And Micah had a saying when he was this age. He said, Daddy, go bang, bang, bang on the kitchen. <laughs> and he wanted to help Daddy go bang, bang, bang on the kitchen. Uh, but that wasn't an easy renovation. We spent about four months making food, merely mostly making food, out of a makeshift kitchen in the other room while that room was all torn apart. Flooring, we took down a wall, rebuilt a half wall, appliances moved, wire, I mean, you name it. It was happening, and it took a long time. But why did we do it? Because we thought, man, it's going to be a beautiful result. You know, we could see what it could be, and we were excited about it. And we had enough patience <laughs> to make it through an extensive renovation period. We invested time and money and sweat <clears throat> and maybe some tears <laughs> in getting there. But it was so worth it. Isn't that a nice picture? It was a beautiful kitchen, and we really enjoyed <laughs> Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was worth it to us, and we, we enjoyed that kitchen and dining room space for almost 10 years before we moved to the house that we're in now. Um, so when it comes to your faith, this is a great picture, right? Do you see the value in Jesus, in Christianity? Can you see what it could be and where you're going? Do you have the patience to see the project through? It's a place where Jesus says, count the cost. Do you have the patience for it? It's going to take some effort. <laughs> Are you willing to invest in a faith renovation, in ongoing renovation? It's so worth it. So much more worth it than a kitchen, you guys. So much more worth it. <clears throat> um, so last week, when we turned to Scripture, we looked at a story from the life of Thomas a faith renovation moment in his life. He doubted the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus met him in that place, right where he was at, in the midst of his doubts with compassion. You know, And so this week, let's look at a really similar moment. I was blown away how similar Peter's experience walking on the water is to Thomas's. Um, so this story, the setup is Jesus has sent his disciples out on a lake in a boat. And that's where we pick it up. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, as one does. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I would too. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter, of course, he always does this. I love Peter. He's like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I need a little proof. Come, he said. Then Peter flipped out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he said, come. No, it's, that's not in there. <laughs> then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Amazing. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
And beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Peter's so much like Thomas in my mind, at least thinking in this context. You know, he's a true disciple. He's a man of faith. I mean, he walked on the water too, right? Who else did that? He's the only one. But also like Thomas, Peter got smacked in the face by life. (laughs) He had doubts, right? He sees what he thinks is a ghost and he doesn't believe it. It's like, yeah, right. If it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water, right? Yeah, right. You guys saw the resurrected Jesus while I was out getting the milk last week. I won't believe it till I see him. Doesn't that sound similar? So Thomas struggled to wrap his head around the resurrection. Peter struggled to wrap his head around Jesus walking on water and himself walking on water shortly after. Um, And when he begins to sink, he calls out, Lord, save me. And Jesus' response is so similar, right? He says, Thomas, look, here's my nail-scarred hands. I'm going to help build some faith in you. He says to Peter, yeah, I'll save you immediately. Grabs him and pulls him up as he begins to sink. And so my question to you is, have you ever felt like Peter? Sinking, that sinking feeling (laughs) where your faith is sinking in doubt or disbelief. Well, don't worry. (laughs) It happened to Peter. It happens to all of us. Don't give up. Don't quit. Instead, we've got this great example in the Bible. Call out, Lord, save me. When you feel doubt, when you're sinking, when you're not too sure, when the wind's swirling all around you and you think you're going to die, Lord, save me, Jesus, save me, and he will. Thomas's story wasn't about Thomas. Peter's story isn't about Peter, it's about Jesus. And your story isn't about how much faith you can manufacture. It's about calling out to Jesus. And seeing him come through when you need it the most. That's a, that's a deep truth. I'll just say it again. Your story isn't about how much faith you can manufacture, how much you can, you know, have good discipline in reading the Bible and praying. It's about Jesus. It's about calling out to Jesus. And if you get that, you'll read your Bible a lot. You'll pray constantly because we need it. We recognize our need. We're constantly sinking. The world's built to sink your ship. <laughs> But you'll call out to Jesus because you know who he is. The story is about him and he's there for you. He loves you. He has compassion on you. So after Thomas experienced Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. Yeah, his faith was built, right? You're my Lord. You're the boss. You're God. I mean, I don't need, I'm undone here. (laughs) And Peter and the disciples, it's the same thing. After Peter and Jesus get into the boat, they say, truly, you're the son of God right? It's through meeting Jesus in those hard times that he becomes real. You have a revelation of who he is, that he's God, and you make him your Lord because of those moments. So if you get out of the boat, if you embrace Christianity, your faith will waver. You'll have sinking moments. There will be doubts, I promise, but just reach out to Jesus. Call out to him, And you'll come out on the other side full of praise 
and how he saved you and how amazing he is. Just like Peter. Does that sound pretty good? Are you up for it? All right. I see nodding heads. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <clears throat> so let's return to our home renovation analogy for a minute. Marilee and I, I showed you our first two homes, right? And some of the renovations we did. In finding each of those homes, we did a lot of house shopping. Um, and there were a lot of homes we deemed unworthy of our renovation efforts. One in particular that comes to mind, it's not too far from here, actually. I won't say which one exactly. I don't want to speak bad of someone's house. I'm sure they fixed it up properly now, but we went to look at it. I might have only looked at it. I was a realtor back in the day with my dad and Greg. And um, it was literally dizzying (laughs) because the floor was so sloped. You know, and you don't realize how much you depend on level surfaces until you're in a house that has a, I mean, it wasn't like a little slope. It was a lot. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on a boat or something walking around this place. I'm like, I'm out. You know, I can deal with the dirty carpets. You know, I used to joke with Marilee. I'm like, the dirtier it is, the cheaper we'll get it. We'll clean that thing up and, and we'll, you know, it's a better investment. But I was not touching that one. Because I'm like, there is something going on with the foundation here. This foundation is no good, and I'm not getting into that much work. I just don't know how to do it. So as we consider Christianity, we've got to ask ourselves, it's a good question to ask. Is there a firm foundation to build on here? You know, there's plenty. We said this last week. I want to say it again. It's so important. Please hear this. There is plenty of brokenness in Christianity and in the church. In the past... And the present, it's full of broken people. (laughs) We talked about navigating change and people have been around here for a while. You've seen it right here. There's brokenness at New Day. It's everywhere because we're broken people. But we're kind of like the carpet and the windows and the doors of Christianity. We're important. We have a part to play. But the foundation is Jesus. And there is a firm foundation in Christianity. (laughs) The question is, is the foundation straight and true and strong? Not, did the carpet get dirty? Because that can be fixed. So I want to point out, I'm not going to do a thorough (laughs) job at this, but three R's that sort of point out how Christianity has a firm foundation, that it is a foundation worth building on, right? So the three R's are, it's reasonable, it's reliable, and it's relatable. So reasonable. Um, Our renovated Christian faith can be grounded in reality and reason. We actually have evidence to support what we believe. I'm not asking you to have a blind faith in Jesus. Um, I don't mean to say that I can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's true. You can't. That would leave no room for faith. (laughs) But it is reasonable to believe in Christianity and its claims. Christianity is substantial, strong, secure to build on. One of the reasons is it's grounded in historical events, the most important of which is the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to talk about that for just a moment. Paul agrees that the resurrection of Jesus is of most importance. He writes, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. What am I doing up here? (laughs) And so is your faith. 
we are of all people most to be pitied. But, thank goodness there's a but, thank God there's a but, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So are you getting that? If Jesus didn't come out of the tomb, what, what are we doing here? It's useless. Paul admits that. I'll admit that. If Jesus didn't rise, this is a sham. But he did. <laughs> and why is it reasonable to believe in that is where I'm going next. <clears throat> this is a found, the foundation. I mean, the critical foundation of Christianity that Jesus rose. Without it, it all crumbles. Um, but there's significant evidence to support that it actually happened. Think about this. Think about counter evidence. One piece of counter evidence would have dismantled Christianity before it really started, right? That'd be a corpse. Right. A Jesus corpse would have ended it all before it started, but no one could produce one because he's not dead, he's alive. Amen. There are literally hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus after he rose from the dead. They saw him in body, like Thomas we talked about last week and the other disciples, but there are literally hundreds who saw him. And Paul writes about this. This is significant. He writes at a time when you could go talk to him. He said, Jesus appeared to uh, Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Anybody ever watch these like crime shows where they solve the crimes and you got to, they got to find enough evidence and eyewitnesses and stuff, right? Imagine the crime show where they're like, instead of like trying to scrape together one eyewitness who will tell the truth, they're like, well, we've got 500. (laughs) Can you imagine being on jury duty for a case where they're bringing in 500 eyewitnesses? You'd be like, I'm going to go broke. My jury duty pay, you know, like reimbursements at work are not that good. (laughs) I don't have time for this. Five will be plenty. (laughs) Please move on. 500 eyewitnesses. And Paul says, go knock on their door and talk to them. Go ask them what they saw for yourself. You can. That is significant testimony. And actually, many of these witnesses were astonishingly invested in their testimony. To the point that they would be burned at the stake, stoned to death, or crucified, and not change their testimony. That is very compelling. So Christianity is reasonable, and that's a little bit of a reason why. It's also reliable. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to say the Bible is the most reliable book in all of history. Absolutely. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Here's some reasons why. There are literally thousands of ancient manuscripts of the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, um, that have been found. And they match each other nearly perfectly. It's ridiculous. If you look at the sort of uh, source reliability of other ancient texts from that time and that era, it's like you're going to be like at this level of like number of things and how well they match. And then the Bible is through the roof. It's ridiculous. You look at like uh, some of the stuff like Homer and you look at the Bible and it's ridiculous. It's um, on the scale of hundreds of times more copies and, and so accurate. Okay. I just get caught in my nerdiness sometimes, and you have to shake me out of it. Just say, Bill, take a drink, and let's move on. Okay. So the historical accuracy in the Bible is ridiculous. It's reliable in that sense. Um, It's also got this astonishing level of internal cohesiveness. 
Think about it. Lots and lots of different people authored the words you read in the Bible over thousands of years. And yet it somehow tells this unified story of who God is, how he interacts with people, and this plan he built to redeem us all and enter the world at just the right time in the form of the son, Jesus. Die, be buried, rise again. There's a cohesiveness there that is off the charts. And the more you get to know the Bible, the more you can see that. There are hundreds of prophetic words about the Messiah who was to come during Old Testament times. If you learn to look for them, you'll find them as you read the Old Testament. And you'll be blown away if you know your New Testament because Jesus fulfills them all. If you look, I think, I think the ones I pulled here are all Psalm 22. Forgive me if I'm wrong about that, but he'll be mocked. He'll be pierced in the hands and feet. Um, they'll cast lots for his garments. None of his bones will be broken when he suffers and dies. Check out Isaiah 53 if you want some more. But the odds of someone fulfilling all that stuff is astronomical, you know? Google that one and see how many zeros come after the one, the odds of that happening. I don't know if I can count the zeros. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> so the Bible is supremely reliable. That's a couple of ways. Let's keep moving. It's relatable. So I love the fact that the heroes of our faith are real people who are broken just like me. It makes it relatable. It makes me feel like I can be one of those people because they're not that great, <laughs> to be honest with you. If you go to the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11 and you just read the, you know, their faith in action, it's awesome. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. But I read it in a different way <laughs> that I want to share with you today. I'm going to point out their brokenness. So here's a list of people who are the heroes of our faith and the other side of the coin. Noah, a drunk. Abraham, hides behind his wife at every turn, takes matters into his own hands. His wife, Sarah, laughs at God's promises. Jacob swindles family members. Moses murders an Egyptian. Rahab is a prostitute. Gideon is an idol worshiper. Samson is a womanizer with quite a temper. And David is an adulterer and a murderer. What a list, huh? <laughs> These are the heroes of our faith. But our faith doesn't rely on heroes. Amen. It relies on God. <laughs> the same goes for church history the last 2,000 years since Jesus. We can openly acknowledge the faults and failures of people in our faith, of the institution of our predecessors, and we can openly acknowledge our own. <laughs> our faith is not based on Christians. It's based on Christ. Amen. Amen and praise the Lord. If it was based on me, this would not be a good idea. <laughs> we put our faith in him, not individuals, not institutions. You might need to renovate on that, guys. Think about it. You might need to renovate on that. If any Christian leader that you respect, love, you've read their books, you've looked up to them, and then they have a moral failure, and it rocks your faith, you need to renovate. Amen. Your faith is not built on a Christian, not even really smart ones, built on Christ. That's important. Don't build it on me. I'm going to be as faithful as I possibly can, but don't build your faith on me. Build it on Jesus. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to hurt your feelings sometimes. I don't try to, but it's going to happen. I'm a human. I'm like... 
I'm just like Hebrews 11, man. <laughs> and so are you. It's encouraging to my soul that Christianity doesn't require perfection. It just requires faith. And what have we been learning? When our faith fails, Jesus is there. So even in that, <laughs> all you need is faith. And when it fails, just call out, Lord, save me. And he's there. It's all about him. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit more. We've got a firm foundation with three beautiful R's. What was it? Uh, reasonable, reliable, relatable. Good thing I could remember them, right? <laughs> Kathy had my back. She remembered. <laughs> but now let's look at some tools for renovation. You remember last week we did like, I think I had three, um, unworthy standards of truth. Well, let's sort of take the positive. What are three tools for renovating? Um, I tell you what, one of my favorite things about, um, maybe I have a slide coming here. Oh yeah, there we go. So one of my favorite things about renovating a house or maintaining a house or the yard is buying tools. <laughs> Raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you've ever spent more than you have in your budget on tools, God bless you. I have too. Christianity is not based on Christians and our adherence to our budgets <laughs> but i digress <laughs> if you can remember your first drill and driver combo set yeah. and then upgrading it three times even though it worked perfectly fine <laughs> amen i see that hand brother when we bought the house we live in now it is in the woods there are <laughs> so many leaves in my yard right now i am very behind on cleaning up but the good side is i got to buy a leaf blower and I got good advice from the guy I bought the house from. He's like, I've tried every leaf blower. I've tried the ones you push, the big industrial ones that blow like this. And he goes, don't waste your time. Don't get a little, a little one, not even the little backpack. He goes, just spend the money, get the big one. And so I did. He was right. Oh my goodness, that thing is so fun. <laughs> Sometimes I, I go down the street and I see the, the pros like cleaning up a yard and their backpacks are smaller than mine. And I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> then New Day Nature Trails comes along. We start renovating back here. And I'm out there quite often, and uh, I see all these limbs, you know. Some of the trees have limbs that are broken or dead. And I'm like, man, just getting rid of those would make that tree just look so nice. So I bought a pole saw, <laughs> which, if you're not familiar, is a chainsaw on an extension pole. It is awesome and so much fun. What were we talking about in terms of Christianity? <laughs> tools. Oh, tools for, reno for faith renovation. Uh, right. Okay. So um, do you want to go tool shopping this morning? Yeah. Okay. I could have brought the pole saw in. No. Let's go tool shopping. Tools for faith renovation. The first is a truth finder. So does anybody have a stud finder? Okay. I'm going to confess <laughs> some of my patheticness to you in the first house we renovated my stud finder was a nail <laughs> you knew you saw it coming <laughs> great minds think alike pastor cameron <laughs> i'd knock on the wall like i saw people do you know and be like i think it's about here and i take i'm like it's just a little nail ah thin air behind the drywall well it must be a little this way by the time i'm done there's a row of 25 nail holes 
I have still not found the stud. <laughs> I'm sitting there crying, and Marilee's like, I'll get the spackle. <laughs> she is so good at spackle and paint. It's amazing. You're welcome. I, I helped her get good at that. <laughs> Okay, so I upgraded my stud finder at some point. I bought one of those fancy pants electronic ones, and, and I got a little better. But ultimately, the best stud finder, tip if you don't know, is a good magnet, right? Drywalls hung on the studs with screws, and they sell a little magnet with a bubble level built into it, and you just... And if you're not sure, go down a little bit, you'll find the next one, and they'll line up, and you'll go, okay, there's the stud. So I got that tool. It was a gift from a friend I worked with who does extensive renovating, flips homes, they'll buy one, they'll move in, they'll live there a couple of years, they'll fix it up, they'll sell it. Um, so he has successfully anchored many things to many studs before. And he said, this is the right tool for the job, Bill. And gave me one. Now I have two. I have one here and I have one at home. <clears throat> and it works great. So for faith renovation, you need a truth finder. You need to be a truth finder, actually. You need to seek the truth. You need something to anchor your life to. <laughs> Don't put a big heavy thing, like, with eternal consequences, haphazardly into the wall with nothing to anchor to. That's, it's going to fall down, right? So we've got to find some truth to anchor to, especially when it comes to decisions of eternal consequence. We need to anchor to the truth. It's common in our day for people to say, hey, live your truth, you be you. And uh, <clears throat> the thing is, if you and I walk, if Dan and I walk up to a wall over here and we, he goes, my truth tells me the stud's here. And I go, well, Dan, my truth tells me it's six inches to the left. We could both be wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> Dan says he's right. <laughs> He probably would be. <laughs> I would probably, right, 25 nail holes. I would probably be the one who was wrong. But there's an objective stud behind the drywall. It's just a matter of finding it. It exists. It doesn't matter how I feel. It's there, right? <laughs> yep. And so don't buy into the cultural notions to follow your heart or that the truth lies within. Instead, seek... Ooh. Pardon me. Seek objective truth with all your heart. Seek the truth. Be a truth finder. Don't look to the cultural messages of the moment for truth. You know, you can actually, you can do like I did. There are experienced people who have sought truth before and they've gotten good at it. You can read the books they've written. You can talk to them. You know, have a mentor in the faith who can help you find the truth and anchor to it. Even better than that, imagine if you were doing a home renovation project, but you had the plans of the house, detailed plans that showed you where every stud was at. So you can measure from the end of the wall to, I know it's going to be here because I have the plans that tell me so. That's what the Bible's like. Plans for how humans are built, what our fallen nature is like, what God is like, how to apply that to different situations in life. You have detailed plans you can read to help you anchor to truth. <clears throat> and what if you were renovating your home, but you had someone with you who built it, and you could ask them for help, a master builder, not to evoke Lego movie themes. 
which I did by saying that I was not trying to do that. But <laughs> everything is awesome. <laughs> Anyways, what if you could ask the guy who built the house, who built you, who built the universe, this world, who knows how it works? Wow, that'd be a powerful tool. Jesus doesn't only promise to show you the truth. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's available to you. Remember, he extends his hand. You have a hand to hold. It's Jesus. And he knows what's going on. He knows the truth. He is the truth. Okay, the second tool for renovation is the fear of the Lord. I don't have a cool uh, analogy for this one. (laughs) It's just a tool you need for faith renovation. (laughs) Maybe one of you will come up with what it is in terms of home renovation and let me know after service. (laughs) Maybe. Um, So when I say the fear of the Lord and put that up there, I bet at least several of you in the room need to renovate that term in your mind before we go any further. Okay? This is a really easy biblical term to get screwed up in your head, fear of the Lord. You know, if you think of quivering in fear of a vindictive God who wants, you know, to smite you, you've got to renovate. That's not it. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. It's more like total respect, honor, and awe of God, okay? Which is a a very positive thing. So imagine if you had that master builder to help you and you ignored his advice, right? You blew him off. (laughs) You built the house. I got a nail. (laughs) I'll find a stud. I don't need your help, (laughs) right? That is a lack of honor (laughs) and respect for someone who has great expertise in the natural, right? And so when it comes to seeking truth, And the claim of Christianity is that Jesus is the truth. To ignore his input is a lack of fear of the Lord, a lack of honor and respect for him. He knows how humans work and what it takes to do the job of renovating the human soul. He's the designer and builder of all creation, and he is speaking if we will only listen. So will you listen? Or will you pull out your phone Open up YouTube and see what someone else has to say. (laughs) Sometimes that's helpful. (laughs) I'm not saying never use YouTube. But honor God with the first word and the last word. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Okay. Um, Man, I might... I'm going to say this. Uh, Sometimes people who deconstruct, not all, but some people who are deconstructing, build a straw man and defeat it, and then leave Christianity, okay? That happens if you're, you know, sort of paying attention to those podcasts or those articles and blogs and stuff, you're going to run into this. And so what my version of that is, it's not looking God in the eye and rejecting him. It's building up a version of God and Christianity that's more easy to defeat, okay? That's what a straw man argument is. You build up something that's easy to defeat, and then you debunk it. Um, And so it's easy to reject, not God. (laughs) But if if you're thinking about leaving Christianity, I want to challenge you to face the real deal before you go, before you walk away. Don't reduce it to something less and take the easy road. Honor the creator with an honest look at who he says he is and how he says the world works before you go. On the flip side, guys, if you 
are a Christian, you're being as faithful as you know how, and you're faced with someone who is asking tough questions. We can't build straw men and defeat them. It's not helpful to them. Um, It's actually disrespectful to them. It doesn't honor them. It's really easy to do. But there are tough questions to be asked of the Christian faith and of the Bible, of God. They're real. They're legit. Um, The Bible, it's not shy about offending our moral intuition. (laughs) Have you read it? (laughs) If you've done the Bible reading plan with us over the last couple of years, you've gone through some of those sections where you're like, what? (laughs) That offends me. Okay, that's a tough question. So we've got to give people the honor of acknowledging that their questions are real. Some of them are tough. And not trying to just answer it on the spot to make the tension go away because we don't want our own faith to get rattled. Are you hearing me? (laughs) It's easy to get triggered by those tough questions and not want to face them and act out of your own fears and doubts. We don't want to do that. Good renovation guides are going to let the tension be tension. They're going to let the questions be tough. They're not going to build a straw man. Okay? We want to be skilled guides for the journey for other people. That give them tools, help them along the way, that encourage them, that support them, but don't make promises that aren't realistic. Don't uh, simplify things. So remember what I said last week. Be patient. You don't have to convince. You don't have to fix. The Holy Spirit's good at his job. He'll take care of each and every person that you know and love that you're, you're trying to help. So trust him. Instead, focus on being a good listener, asking good questions of the person. You know, hey, this is something I really struggle with. Ask him a bunch of questions about that. Well, why do you struggle? What perspectives have you considered? What, what other scriptures speak to that? Right? These are good questions that help them process a real question rather than trying to sweep it under the rug real quick because it's scary. And then support their journey with your prayers. If we believe in prayer and that it's powerful, pray for the person in that place and let them know, hey, I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to be praying for you that God will reveal it to you. I'll ask him to reveal to me some insight on the topic. Next time I see you, we'll see where we're at. That's great. That's great. Okay, third tool is praise. Okay, track with me on this one, guys. This is kind of fun. Um, The best part of a home renovation and the best part of the home renovation shows on TV is demo day, right? Maybe you haven't done this. Taking a sledgehammer to a wall that is so ugly and full of wallpaper like the one in our second house I showed you today, it is so satisfying. I mean... Maybe not like chainsaw satisfying, but it, a sledgehammer is fun to work with, right? And, um, you know, it's actually a critical part of the job. You got to clear some junk out of the way to make a beautiful renovation. Um, that's been my experience with our homes. <clears throat> so we're going to get to how, <coughs> excuse me, how praise works like a sledgehammer. Never heard that preached before, me neither. Okay, Paul says, though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Excuse my weird line breaks there. If it's bothering you, you're not alone. It's bothering me too. (laughs) We We fight not with the weapons of the world. We have power to demolish strongholds. Okay? So my claim is praise is weaponized faith in action. 
It has the power to tear down strongholds that stand opposed to the truth. Okay? Let me read you a quote that explains why better than I can. Because praise evokes a world in which the Lord alone reigns, biblical praise is always both praise of the true Lord and praise against all false lords. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Praise not only evokes a world, it also undoes, it deconstructs all other worlds. Excuse my throat here. Praise evokes a world where God is the Lord. It also undoes and deconstructs all other worlds. In order to evoke the true world in which God alone reigns in righteousness, all false lords and false worlds must be undone. Okay, so he's saying praise is a sledgehammer. Did you catch that? Right? By praising God as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you create a world around you where you say, I honor God as God, as truth, and you create a world. But in so doing, you can't also say, I'm my own God, I can decide what's truth. You can't also say, Money's a God. If I can just get rich or die trying, that's the way life works. It undoes those worlds. It makes a world where God is God. Actually, it taps you into reality is what it does because it's true whether you believe it or not. But you can create that pocket of true reality where God is king when you praise him. To renovate the Christian faith is to align it with the truth about God, that he's king of kings, lord of lords, the way, the truth, and the life. To build such a faith is to deconstruct and demolish all other versions of truth in our hearts. So praise is a powerful tool in doing this. And um, we'll close with this, as preachers like to say. (laughs) You may not always feel confident of your faith in God. You may not feel like praising might have lingering doubts like Thomas, might have a sinking feeling like Peter, but you can cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And what is that? It's an act of faith in God as rescuer. It's a form of praise. I'm I'm hit by that in my emotions. Do you see that? That's a deep truth that's so comforting, right? If you thought praise was a weapon <laughs> only in church when you're feeling good and you, you, you're connecting with God, you're wrong. It's so much more. Yeah. It's when you're sinking in the lake and you're about to die, but you go, God, I need you. Right. It recognizes that he's the one to call to, and that's a form of praise. Amen. And if that's all you've got, praise him with it. Amen. You know, And if you've got more, praise him with that too. I can guarantee you. <clears throat> It does. Amen. (laughs) So as you do that, what's happening is you're demolishing the strongholds that wage war against your soul. You're clearing the way for the truth to be anchored in your soul, in your life. That's a power tool. (laughs) That's a pole saw. That's a sledgehammer. Okay, here's what we covered today, guys. We covered how our faith has a firm foundation, right? It's reasonable, it's reliable, it's relatable. We talked about how our faith does not rest on Christians, but on Christ. And then we talked about some renovation tools, being a truth finder, 
Seek truth with all your heart. There is objective truth. It can be found. Ask, <laughs> seek, knock. He will show himself to you. We talked about cultivating the fear of the Lord as the second tool for renovation and using praise as a weapon to demolish strongholds. It's been good this morning. I'm excited to share with you one more time next week. Pastor Cameron, would you come? That was a really good, excellent word and very timely. And I just want us to receive it. Could you all just stand? So when there's a good word like that, not only do you listen and hear ideas that you want to cling to, maybe jot down some notes, but you want to respond in your heart to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is present in the room right now, right here. He's very, very near you, okay, as an individual, but also us as a group. And I love that Bill said that Bill and Marilee looked at their house and and um, they could see what those what those early houses could be. They didn't see what they were. They could see what they could be with some work and some attention. Well, listen, God can see what you can be. God can see. God sees not only your state currently, and and the imperfections, but Holy Spirit can see you uh, without fault or blemish, can see you holy. Can see, Jesus can see you as his bride adorned for the wedding when he returns and joins with us as his bride and, and we spend eternity with him. And one other analogy, this is as we stand here before the Lord, I love that, you know, the best uh, uh, stud finder tool is really a magnet. And, you know, the magnet doesn't see the, the screw that's holding the drywall up, but there's something in the magnet that that is attracted to the steel. And the same thing, we need to be truth finders and, and, and realize that we can sense the presence of truth. We can sense Jesus. We can sense God sometimes through whatever is obscuring our vision. And so right now I'm just going to pray for you. Father, thank you for this word, Lord. And we surrender ourselves to be renovated. Lord, we give up the arrogant notion that we can we can renovate Christianity, that we can change and, and pick and choose. We 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 uh, repent of that, and and we repent for this generation for picking and choosing uh, out of out of your word, Lord. And we we declare as Christ followers, we believe you, Jesus. We lay it all on the line. We receive your whole word. We confess faith, even to the parts we don't understand. Because, uh, Lord, your word uh, surpasses our understanding. And we are so thankful, Lord, that you cling to us and you allow us to cling to you. In Jesus' name. Father, I just pray for anyone here that's struggling or that knows someone that they love dearly that that is struggling with some of the basics of faith. Is the Bible reliable? Is Jesus who he claimed to be? Lord, we, we hold those individuals, and if there's people in this room, we hold them up before you. And Holy Spirit, reveal truth. We need supernatural revelation. Lord Jesus, uh, we need Holy Spirit to reveal yourself. And so, Lord, we surrender that to you in Jesus' name. We thank you. 
uh, for the fellowship of the saints, for the solidity, for the reliability of your word, and and for the uh, power tool, weaponized faith of praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, "Amen." Amen. Are you?